Hello and welcome to Himscast. I'm your host, Jonah Comstock. Today, we're going to be doing something a little different on the show. Last week, Moby Health News Managing Editor Laura Lovett and I attended Health, a large digital health trade show in our hometown of Boston. The show provided an opportunity to talk to a number of digital health innovators about their work, but also about their impressions of major trends in the industry. In the first of a series of Industry Voices episodes, we'll be listening in on the digital health industry's conversation about value-based care. I've been hearing at trade shows for years that value-based care is just around the corner, but at Health, much like at HIMSS in August, it was almost all people were talking about. Here's Strive Health CEO Chris Riappel, summing up the level of excitement that I heard with some regularity. Look, I'm excited at this convergence of um, investors, technology, and government around value-based care. Um, I spent my whole career in healthcare, um, and every chance I got, I spent time in places where the providers were responsible for delivering great outcomes at a lower cost. And I think our healthcare world has played at that over the last few years. It feels in every sector there's movement toward value-based care, which I think is going to be at a very, very macro level. The answer for the future of healthcare is to move the opportunity to improve quality and reduce costs closer and closer to the providers who are actually delivering the care. One reason value-based care is gaining so much traction is that in some limited ways, it's already here. People were less predicting value-based care and more describing shifts that are already underway. Peter Mika, a partner at Deloitte focusing on healthcare and life sciences, says payers are already changing how they do things. Well, I think to some extent it's changed dramatically already. I mean, uh, third-party payers are no longer third-party payers because of a movement towards value-based care and aligning incentives and measuring true outcomes, uh, providers now have, and payers now have an incentive, right, to align services against better outcomes and truly measure it. And that's a fairly dramatic, is it, you know, fully penetrated our healthcare system? No, Um, but I think that's a, a fairly significant shift that is occurring as we speak. Um, that ultimately creates opportunities for emerging companies to kind of nudge that along and engage the consumer in a more productive way. Christopher McCann, whose startup Current Health was just acquired by tech retailer Best Buy, went into some of the government and commercial forces nudging this trend ahead. Yeah, I think um, so. CMS has done amazing work, even on the fee-for-service side, in driving more uh, volume into care at home models, you know, be it through the RPM and now there's you know, new remote therapeutic codes for 2022. The hospital at home, the, the acute care at home program, I think is one of the most exciting things that's happened in healthcare in the last 50 years and hopefully they'll continue it after, after um, the public health emergency ends. But you also see in commercial payers and CMS um, even more focus on trying to shift to value-based models. CMS is talking about making some of their models mandatory um, it's carried on, you know, post the Trump administration and the Biden administration, um, with the focus on alternative payment models, and a lot of um, what, what we are seeing is a lot of health systems going and engaging commercial payers to say, hey, we want to set up a specific model um, in this population, and going and engaging the commercial payer and saying, hey, let's do this together. In one sense, payers are falling behind as more and more digital health companies are working directly with employers to offer services beyond the traditional remit of insurance. 
as GoodRx CEO Doug Hirsch described. It's interesting. It, it seems like we've all decided that insurance has failed us. And so now we're coming up with these additional benefits and services. Like, you know, again, we, I have insurance and yet I'm going to separately as an employer pay for a mental health benefit or a fertility benefit or, you know, some other thing that's on top of insurance, which of course for me makes the question, why is insurance so bad? Like, why can't insurance, like, if I'm going to, as, a, as an employer or a plan sponsor or whatever, if I'm going to set aside X dollars to, to help out my constituents, I can better reflect the needs of, of, that, of that patient base instead of the having to then pile on all these additional services. So I don't know, I just, I feel like insurance continues to show its cracks and I want to continue to help patients either, you know, have better insurance or, or work around it when they can. Direct primary care companies like Firefly Health and Crossover Health, which do work directly with employers in some cases and bypass insurers, were well represented at the conference. Transparent CEO Glenn Tolman, whose company does work with insurance, nonetheless agreed that traditional payers might be feeling threatened right now by some of the new models emerging. And I think some insurers are going to find, you know, the transparent model and what we're saying very challenging. Hmm. And they're not going to like it. But the reality is, you know it's true and I know it's true. Hmm. They are not doing the job of providing us high-quality health care at affordable cost today. If you survey most consumers, They'll tell you that today, healthcare is more confusing, more complex, and more costly than ever before. And they think it's getting worse, not better. Hmm. And employers do the same thing. So in that environment, that opened up an opportunity to say, why don't we think about doing it in a very different way? But aren't traditional payers and providers already involved in value-based care initiatives? Well, yes and no. Here's Tolman again. You know, we've had a lot of discussions about value-based care and about, um, and in most cases, what you really see is it's not really anything different. People are simply saying like, okay, we'll share some of the cost. Mm -hmm. So you have, you know, someone comes in and says, well, pay us a million dollars and we'll put a hundred thousand at risk. That's not really value-based care. You haven't redesigned the care in any way. You're simply saying, we'll, we'll, uh, if it doesn't work well, uh, we, will, we will reduce the cost of it. Yep. That's still going through the exact same system. There's, there's no real change in behavior. Full risk, that is, being paid in a capitated way such that you have to produce outcomes to make a profit, is still a scary proposition for many payers and providers. Here's Virgin Pulse CEO Chris Mahalik. I think value-based care is one of those things that will take a long time to transition to. I think you've got a lot of players in the market and in the ecosystem who are willing to take risk and, and open to take risk. Um, you know, I see this all the time. Employers who say they want a risk-based contract with me, but at the end of the day, when we have to agree what the terms of that risk are and how much risk I'm taking and what they're willing to pay for that risk, then those some of those contract discussions break down. I think. In value-based care, you've got a little bit of that helping ha happening across the whole healthcare ecosystem, and so um, I think there's still a lot of work to do uh, in terms of value-based care. I think the good news is I do think there's proof that 
players in the healthcare ecosystem can actually help people make better decisions about healthcare. And that, to me, is the precursor for value-based care. You've got to help individual people make better decisions about the providers that they choose. Uh, and when we do that well, that's, to me, the precursor for really good value-based care. But some traditional providers, as well as provider startups and tech vendors, are ready to plunge into a full-risk world. I spoke to Paul Henry Ferrand, Chief Business Officer at Babylon Health, one such organization. Actually, it's a very good point because a lot of companies are, uh, that are in value-based care are not usually full risk, and we are taking full risk. And in the U.S., we're dealing with a number of health plans where we're taking risk across Medicaid, Medicare, and commercial populations. We're also going to approach the self-insured market very soon. Uh, and again, one of our particularities is to use our technology to scale faster than anybody else and marry this to our virtual clinical operations to make sure that we can deliver a service in which we have so much confidence that we can take full risk. As Tolman says, a small amount of risk just maintains the status quo. But as providers take on more risk and move further from fee-for-service billing, they're able to introduce true innovation in how health system money is spent. Dr. Toyan Ajayi is president and co-founder of CityBlock Health, a community-driven direct primary care startup that serves Medicare and Medicaid populations in a risk-bearing model. While CityBlock doesn't take on full risk, the company's business model does demonstrate how powerful the shift to value-based care can be in terms of allowing for the reinvention of care paradigms. A hospitalization in most urban metro areas, so you know, falling ill, going to the hospital, get admit, getting admitted to the inpatient unit, staying for three or four days, costs about $10,000. For $10,000, we can provide hundreds of hours of community health worker support or social services support in the community. We can provide hundreds of hours of psychiatry in the community. We can provide dozens and dozens of primary care visits in the community. Um, we can do all of that within a, a longitudinal trusted relationship. And so what you think about um, the fact that, um, that most people, so the, uh, there's a significant um, uh, burden of what we would call ambulatory care sensitive hospitalizations. People go to the hospital for things that we could have treated in the community. They go because their asthma worsened for three, four, five, six days and they didn't have the ability to get a new inhaler or they weren't able to go see their doctor in a timely way and then they ended up in the emergency room. Spending money on community initiatives isn't the only way that healthcare money can be better spent in a payment model that frees up providers for more creativity. Scott Shreve is the CEO of Crossover Health, a hybrid physical and virtual direct primary care company. He says that once we get away from the idea of billing for visits and procedures, we can rethink a lot about how we do care. Well, I think uh, traditional fee-for-service based uh, in-person care probably is the same old, same old. And you have a set of incentives that kind of lead to these seven to ten minute visits. You're in and out one problem at a time. We just don't think that's the way people want to work. We don't think that's the right way to provide the care. And so the innovation that we're seeing in the in-person uh, space is around really you know, spending more time, being much more proactive with your health, and simple things like you know, the annual physical. That, used, that, that was a thing for a while, but we question the validity of whether that's actually really useful or needed. And so instead, we're replacing a lot of the annual physical with relationship building, going over uh, screenings, uh, prevention, developing a health strategy for the year, uh, as opposed to some of the traditional elements that uh, just didn't seem to have the impact that we're finding that these other uh, techniques do. 
Jonathan Bush, executive chairman of Firefly Health, agrees that new direct primary care startups can challenge all kinds of preconceptions about care while generating savings, and he thinks that traditional providers, especially the newest generation of doctors, will eventually follow suit. I think someone who's saying, look, don't worry about primary care care, this is care. This yeah. is any care, you know, Fireflies is care by Firefly. Whatever you need, you can, you can put it, you know, if I need to grab someone from Dana-Farber along this chat, I'm going to grab it. You don't have to go anywhere, you don't have to think about it, I don't have to decide if it's a referral. Just going to grab it. Yeah. That model eliminates the notion of visits, claims, primary care. Yeah. Um, it's more of a feed than a series of events. Yeah. And I, I see that as now possible, both from a business model and a technology perspective. And I see and not just a passive but an active, ferocious willingness among the provider community, among individual Gen Z doctors yep. who are like, I don't want to do this macho thing, you know, and make them come into me and then, you know, see how much money I can get for you. Like, I want to have a nice little work life. The idea that I could, you know, maybe work from home, maybe do Zoom life, you know, and see only cases that are really exactly focused on what I'm good at, are really well targeted to my skills, uh, not do billing, not have medical records staff, not have the overhead and the bloat and the politics. Physician stats on depression and burnout might be a lot different. One other way that the slow shift towards value is changing care is that, along with some of the lessons of the COVID-19 pandemic, it's creating new incentives to move care into the home. Here's the recent Best Buy acquiree Chris McCann again. Yeah, I mean, I think what I love is that health systems, you know, who have historically been seen as these big, huge entities with lots of institutional inertia, basically reinvented themselves overnight during COVID. You know, they proved they could innovate and they shifted huge volumes of care outside of bricks and mortar facilities. So the, the health systems have actually led this shift, supported by new financial models. You know, CMS has done amazing work with um, some of the both you know, at risk and, and reimbursement um, fee for service work they've done. Um, I think the, you know, as other people move into the space, I think people treat retailers as a homogenous entity, but they're all doing different, different things. The thing that I loved about Best Buy was they were saying, we are the best in the world at certain things, and we're going to use those things that we are the best in the world at to help healthcare providers deliver care in the home. And that was really aligned to our strategy of how do we help providers focus on actually delivering healthcare, which they are you know, amazing at, not on all of the different technical, logistical, operational challenges with reaching out into the home. Um, and that strategy, I think, is really smart. Some services that we could, and many would say should, be doing at home are still being done largely at hospitals and treatment centers because of existing payment structures and the incentives they create. Strive Health's Chris Riapel told me about home dialysis and how behind the U.S. is compared to single-payer countries like Hong Kong. We want to get these patient, patients where they need dialysis onto home dialysis. In this country, in America, we're about 12% home dialysis adoption. The balance is in-center hemodialysis at a clinic on the corner. In Hong Kong, it's just about 80% of patients are on home dialysis. So America trails the world in home dialysis adoption. And so we have uh, over 40% of patients in our markets because we're engaging them early, um, planning on transitioning to some form of home dialysis. A lot of the focus on the main stages at health was on big tech and big retail players getting more involved with healthcare. 
Companies like Best Buy, Walmart, and CVS, not to mention Amazon and Uber, are all focusing on omni-channel healthcare, a big component of which is bringing care to the home, something which is directly tied in with value-based care. The combination of trends is creating big opportunities for companies large and small. Here's Uber Health Global Lead, Caitlin Donovan. Well, I think to do population health management, value-based care in the most administratively friendly and patient-centric way, you need to have a really robust care at home program, right? Otherwise, you're going to be spending a lot of time, um, a lot of dollars, and not uh, in, in only focusing on too few patients. And so if you can enable population health managers, care managers, case managers to increase their reach um, into people's homes using tools like Uber, like Papa, um, uh, like delivery through Scriptop, all through, you know, and, and Uber dashboard, I think that becomes very interesting very quickly. It's worth noting that the crowd we were able to speak to at Health skewed towards startups and innovators. I wish we'd had the chance to speak with more traditional payers and hear their side of the story. But what we heard from the more than 15 people we talked to in a whirlwind two days was remarkably consistent. The industry is getting more and more serious about value-based care. Some of the momentum is coming from private and government payers, and some of it is coming from innovators like Crossover, Firefly, and CityBlock, who are demonstrating the possibilities that value-based care can open up. This trend is going to continue, and it's intermingled with other big trends like community care, care at home, and virtual care, all of which have been held up to some extent by rigid fee-for-service payment structures in the past. None of this is to say that we're anywhere near the finish line for value-based care, or even the tipping point for broad adoption. But if this is a glimpse of the future of payments, and more to the point, the future of care, then the future is starting to look bright. For Hymnscast, I'm Jonah Comstock. This segment was written and produced by Jonah Comstock. Laura Lovett conducted the interviews with Glenn Tolman and Jonathan Bush. All interviews except the Glenn Tolman interview were conducted on-site at Health in Boston. Stay tuned for more editions of Industry Voices on Hymnscast. And as always, keep innovating and keep being healthcare changemakers.